I'm here with Sean Harris, a Kita for Home Plus student from the United States. I asked Sean how he enjoyed learning with Kita over the course of the year. Kita was really an amazing experience because I got to learn three new things every week. One Kumash, one Mishnah, and one Gamara. After each week, I got to discuss those things, and I learned a lot. I also asked Sean what were his favorite parts of the Kita for Home Plus program. My favorite part of the Kita lessons um, are getting to go onto Zoom and actually discuss them because then it's a two-way conversation and not just learning, it's interactive as well. I also spoke to Sean's parents and asked them how they felt about Kita. You know, we love the program. It was phenomenal. It, it exceeded our expectations for sure. Sean learned so much. It was providing him a basis to go to high school for yeshiva education. We just appreciated all the learning that we did every week. Do you know a family looking for a Jewish education solution for their children? Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. To find out more, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Harav Johnny Solomon. Harav Johnny Solomon teaches at Matan and Midrash at Lindemann. He's an educational consultant for many schools around the world. He's an editor at Mosaica Press, and he gives online rabbinic guidance and shiurim. Johnny, did you start the online summer cola yet? Um, I may be delaying it, but I'm also going to be starting some uh, YouTube videos giving, teaching people how to learn Mishnah, Midrash, Gemara, Halacha. That's part of my extra extra. Unbelievable. Look out for that on the on. feed. Amazing. Okay, we're here with Rabbi Mali Bravsky. Rabbi Mali Bravsky is a senior faculty member at MMY. She's a social worker at MMY, in-house as it is. She's the director of Shana Bet, also at MMY. There's a lot of hats at MMY. Okay? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and she's, uh, uh, she also is a private, she's a social worker, has a private practice in Alone Shvut. Is it Alone Shvut? You practice in Alone Shvut? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. great. So give her a call if you're looking for a social worker or a private practice. Or you're an MMY student, they probably all have your number. Anyway, uh, <laughs> is the year over? Do they go home? Yes. Ah, so you're off for the, the summer. Banker. Okay, now you can just work at home. Uh, my yep. name is Ruben Spolter. How many hats do I have? I am the coordinator of the Riamonim program at Herzog Academic College. I, have, uh, I am the founder and director of Kita, an online learning initiative. Uh, if you know of families whose children are not in Jewish day school and they want serious Jewish learning, look me up, kita.org. Today we're going to talk about a topic that I'm calling, inaccurately, the Dayan-Dermer debate. And I'm using that as a, as a, as a jumping-off point to essentially discuss uh, the thesis of Donnie Dayan's attack on Ron Dermer. A few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, there was, an, uh, there was a, a Kenneth, there was a, an online forum sponsored by McCor Rishon, in which Ron Dermer, Ron Dermer was a former counsel in uh, the former um, uh, Israeli uh, ambassador in, to Washington, D.C. He spoke about where should Israel put its effort and its energy when it comes to, and its resources when it comes to developing ties with the United States. And Dermer argued pragmatically 
that uh, Israel should put a lot of effort into Israel should put a lot of effort into uh, reaching out to the evangelical community uh, because he argued basically it's a, we get the best bang for our buck, whereas uh, American Jews are two percent of the population and truth be told less than uh, always supportive of the state of Israel. Evangelicals are something like twenty percent of the American population and far more passionate about about uh, about supporting of Israel. So Dermer said. It makes, just makes sense for Israel's interests to invest that time and energy. Now, Dermer did not say, and he was attacked for saying this, I will say this, it was unfair, because Dermer did not say that you should not invest in the Jewish community and have a relationship with the Jewish community. He didn't say that. It was implied that he did, which was unfair, etc. But I want to focus on, I want to focus on the end of Dani Diyan wrote a piece in Haaretz, and he, and he spoke about the idea, he said, Dermer misunderstands the reason why we should invest in the Jewish community, invest in Jews in America. We don't invest in Jews in America because we want them to support us. And like there's a quid pro quo. You give us money, you give us political support, and we'll be here you know, to make you feel good and connect to the Jewish people. He said, rather, the reason why, the reason why we should invest in Jewish people okay, is because, he says, anyone who sees ties between Israel and the diaspora in this way misses the main point. The foundational idea of Jewish peoplehood and the main purpose of the Jewish state. So... I, I saw this, this article, this formulation, and I started to think to myself, first of all, the notion of Jewish peoplehood is a, is a very important idea, really interesting concept, but it started to make me wonder, what does it mean to be part of Jewish peoplehood? You know, is it Am Yisrael, part of the Jewish people? And I say this in, especially in light of two things. The first thing, of course, is the Pew survey, the recent Pew survey that was uh, published in May, the Pew survey of the Jewish community in America. Uh, you can look it up online. Well, we won't, we won't share it on Facebook because we never do. But the Pew people basically uh, fa found that between the ages of 18 and 29, 40% of Jews say they were Jews of no religion. 30 to 49 33%, I mean a large percentage, 27% of all Jews who said they were Jews, say they're not Jews of any religion. They don't do anything. They're not connected to Jewish by, Jews by religion at all. They're just Jews. And a good percentage of them really had no Jewish practice at all and no connection to Israel. Now, take that also, and I, I think this is something that, I don't know if we've, have we talked about this, the, the reform um, petition, the conservative reform petition, have we talked about it in this, on this podcast yet? Uh, Johnny, do you know if we've talked about it? You know, the rabbinic Brief petition? Brief mention was made. What? Brief mention was made, maybe? Brief mention was made. So, I don't think we've talked about it enough because, at least for me, I, that was, a, it was probably the most painful aspect of the war was that petition. And, and it made me wonder, it really got me thinking about this fundamental question of what does it mean to be a member of the Jewish people? I mean, what does it mean to be part of Jewish peoplehood? If you identify as a Jew, so Israel is responsible to make sure that we have a connection with you? Jewish people are responsible to make sure that you're connected to Israel? At what point, if you don't keep any mitzvot, you're, you just define yourself as Jewish. You might be Jewish halakhically, you might not. And you're not only not connected to Israel, but perhaps antithetical to Israel. Is it really our, responsible, our responsibility to reach out to you and to worry about you and to be connected to you? Where do... Do you understand my question, Molly? Do you understand where I'm going? Yeah. Okay, 100%. good. You do. So give okay. me an, try to try to tackle that question. Okay. So I, I was thinking about it since you kind of you know raised it this morning as 
pre, you know, what we're, what are we talking about? Um, and Johnny actually said something that was very helpful to me um, because he reminded me that this question was actually addressed in the modern era, meaning until, I'd say, um, the falling of the ghetto walls in, 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 in uh, 1789 by Napoleon, it was very clear who was part of the Jewish community. It was, there was a Jewish community and it was kind of, you know, ghettoized from the rest of the world. And you, the definition of Judaism was everybody kept halacha. And again, I know that wasn't necessarily because they were so devoted to halacha. It was because like, that's what it meant to, it was, it was like, you know, what it meant to be a Jew was that you were part of this community and these were things you did. Um, since since uh, the, the falling of the ghetto walls and Jews kind of choosing to be part of the larger world and many of them ceasing to keep halacha, um, I, I think both Rav Cook and Rav Soloveitchik both grappled with this question of, so what does it mean to be a Jew in the modern era? And both answered it. And I'll, I'll answer very, I'll try to say this very quickly so that, you know, it doesn't take too long, but I think it's important to think about this, that this is where I want to thank Johnny, because Johnny was like, Kol Dido Fake. I was like, all right, that's totally right. Because that's the third part of Kol Dido Fake is this question. The Rav Soloveitchik addresses this issue. What does it mean to be a Jew in the modern era? And his basic, he basically talks about... Slow down, I want to hear this. Take your time. Okay. Usually I rushed you, but I mean... Yes, okay. Basically, yeah, because I, you know, I know that you're going to like, you know, tell me that I'm talking too long. Um, If you're giving a share, I'm okay. It's all good. Okay. So he basically, the Rav talks about what's called Brit Yehud and Brit Goral, right? It's parallel. Many people have no, know about faith and destiny in terms of the individual and suffering. He makes the same parallel for, and on a national level. And he says, and I'll start Wait, with the second one. Can you translate those terms, please? Okay. Mm-hmm. Fate and destiny, right? The human being can live a, a life of fate where he just kind of lives against his will and like is like a leaf blown in the wind, right? Or he can live a, a life of destiny, which means that he chooses his life and he's an agent and active in, in the life that, that, um, that he experiences. Right. And so you can that, that's basically the Rev's thesis. Um, and then he says the Jewish people have a parallel to the same parallel tracks. We can be people of and I'm going to skip to the end. Right. Obviously, he ends with we can be people of destiny who freely choose um, our Judaism for the Rev. Obviously, that means ju- choosing um, to serve God, Torah, mitzvot, to actively participate in what he calls Brit Sinai. Right. Meaning we, we choose Hashem. Hashem chooses us. Matan Torah. That's a Jew of destiny. However, he says there's another track. There, there, there are many Jews that are part of what he calls Brit Mitzrayim. They're Jews because God, against their will, you know, not necessarily out of their own free choice, took them out of Egypt, and they're Jews. Um, and yes, there's a higher level. Jews can choose to participate in a higher level of Jewish experience, but there's a basic level of what it means to be part of it. Really, your question. There's a basic level of what it means to be part of the Jewish people. Now, what identifies that? And the Rav basically goes through it. He says, basically, it's shared experience, right? All Jews are part of a shared experience. Um, and I think he means by this historically, right, that like... Um, non-Jews treat us that way, right? That was Herzl's awakening, right? When Dreyfus was um, mm-hmm. stripped of his medals, he was, they didn't scream death to Dreyfus, they screamed death to the Jews, right? Um, you know, we know that anti-Semitism does not distinguish between uh, Jews who go to shul and Jews who don't go to shul. So there's shared experience, which leads to shared, uh, shared suffering, um, which says Rav Soloveitchik leads to a sense of that, of, of shared suffering, right? I, I become aware that all Jews have a collective experience, and therefore I have, I feel a sense of obligation and then cooperation um, to others, right? And so that's what it means to be a Jew. Now, what's interesting to me is that the Rav seems to say that this is just like definitional of what it means to be a Jew. You don't have to do anything, right? By definition, if you're part of the Jewish people, you will experience this. However, um, uh, let me just talk about Rav Kook, and then I want to come back to that question of like, 
well, what if a Jew doesn't feel himself? What if he doesn't feel that shared sense of suffering? What if he doesn't feel that sh- sense of shared obligation? What he if he rejects it? it? What if he what actively if he rejects it? Exactly. Okay. So, so I just want to quote Rav Cook also very briefly because Rav Cook had to grapple with the exact same issue, right? Rav Cook had to grapple. He was asked if he would give a uh, hespade for a not for a um, member of Hashomer Hatzair, I think it was, or you can look it up, a, a member of a, you know, very secular um, Zionist movement who was anti-religious, but who died, Al-Kidush Hashem, who died supporting, you know, like he was killed by, I think, um, you know, in, a, in, a, in an Arab raid while he was defending a kibbutz. And Rav, Sol- Rav, Rav Cook says, you would think, obviously, you know, the guy died Al-Kidush Hashem. But on the other hand, he says, but he was a kofer. He was a heretic. And you're not allowed to give a hespade. You're not allowed to give a eulogy technically for a heretic. What am I supposed to do? Right. And that's like Rav Cook's neat way of saying, who are the Jewish people today? If the Jewish people today used to be people who who were part of the Jewish community that was defined as Torah mitzvot, but pe- those people don't do that. And yet they're, they're totally willing to sacrifice their lives for the Jewish people and the Jewish state. So he very neatly kind of re, re um, defines the the Rambam, the Rambam on this question says, who's considered a heretic? A person who takes himself out of the Jewish community, which at the time of the Rambam meant stop keeping Torah mitzvot. So Rav, Rav Cook says very neatly, today, not keeping Torah mitzvot does not say that you don't care about the Jewish community, right? You can care about the Jewish community and express that today, not by keeping Torah mitzvot, but rather by demonstrating your care, by identifying with the Jewish people, by being willing to shed your blood for the Jewish people, by being willing to fight for the Jewish people or for the Jewish state, and, or you know, pre-state, but for the Jewish land. And therefore, says Rav Cook, that's what makes you part of the Jewish people, right? And so what both Rav Cook and Rav Soloveitchik seem to say is that a, a sense of commonality of destiny, a sense of commonality of lot is, is what makes you part of the Jewish people. Now, um, then the question becomes, what, and I, again, again, I've been thinking about this, you know, so I'm formulating everything I thought about today. What about the person who takes himself out of that commonality of lot, right? Um, so this is how I would phrase it. I would never presume to say that anybody, even if he says about himself, right? And now I'm thinking about, um, Chazal might have said it, right? Meaning Chazal said in, in the Haggadah, right, the Russia. Because who kafar Why are we so anti these Wait, statements? One second. One second. Why, why, why so do they make us so uncomfortable now? Right. So that's what I want to say. For years, everybody's so uncomfortable, and we have to reinterpret it. And the Russia hakatchinav that doesn't mean to be angry at him. It means to kind of try to bring him closer. No, I think Chazal are saying something really valuable here, which is, and, and this might sound tough, but I'll get to the softening of my toughness. Right? Chazal are saying if someone takes themselves out of that sense of commonality of destiny. And I don't care whether it's commonality of suffering or commonality of shared lot, but if they take themselves out, right, I think the way I understand it is they, they're taking themselves out, right? And so then when you ask me, and I know I'm saying a lot, but it's just because I've been thinking about your question all day. When you ask me, what's my obligation, right? So when you ask me what's my obligation, my obligation is always, always, always to reach out, right? I'm never going to give up on any Jew. In the, in the Danny Dayan article, wait, 
I see Ruby's making like you know faces. Um, he says like my, if you're on the top of a mountain, this time and you I was this, t- this time I was just okay. my, I had something in my eye. Oh, sorry. Okay. If you see a bunch of you know, he says like if you're in the army and you see a, a, pl- a platoon of lost soldiers, would you ever give up on them? No. The Israeli ethos is you go and you save every last soldier. So too, right? I and I identify with that. I'm not giving up on any Jew. I don't care how much they want to take themselves, even if they want to take themselves out of Brit. Um, uh, Goral, right? Even if they want to say, I'm not part of it. Even if they want to say, right, um, Lachem, I'm not part of you. I, I'm i still going to try to reach out and bring them in. But really? what I will would you, say... Wait, wait a second. Would you give them, would you say, well, because uh, they, they insist that unless we create a Palestinian state oh, okay. in Yudav Shomron, I don't want to be have any part of you because so what I will you are say, an imperialist, colonialist, right. okay. you know, society. So what I, but what I, right. So what I will say is, and this is an, another piece, which is, um, th- there's a principle, right, uh, that like, if someone is drowning, right, um, and you and and you're a lifeguard, right. And you try to help them if they're willing to be helped, right? If they're willing to kind of let you help them save you, them you can save them. If they're going to kick and flail and scream, and you try to save them, both of you are going down, right? So let me just finish up my point. I, I don't mean to be paternalistic as like we're saving people, but the the idea there I think is very important, which is you you if a person is determined. If 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 me reach if me connecting to you is going to bring me down, that's where I draw my line, right? Meaning I will always reach out to you. I will always have dialogue with you. I will always try to learn from you. I think there's a very important, um, you know, this was part of our conversation about um, the, um, the 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 Gesher movie about you know um, non you know different streams of of of. Judaism in America. I will always have an open I mind about what that. I have to learn from 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 not from p- people who are different than I am, and and I will I will always have an open mind to be to to have dialogue and to have differences of opinion. However, I will not do that if I feel that their path is not only dangerous to them because they are so so breaking off from the community, they are so disengaged from the community that they're going down a path that's dangerous to them. But if it starts becoming dangerous to me, that's when I say, okay, Adkan. And I think we do have to think about where is that Adkan. And I think that 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 we can have, a, you know, I'll obviously you know, would love to hear what Johnny has to say at this point. But like, I, I think that 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 there is a point where the Adkan comes. And I think it does have to do with when Jews start not recognizing this paternalistic pater- particularistic element of Judaism. If they're not willing to say, we are a family, we are unique, we are, you know, like, you know, our, our universalism becomes more important than our particularism. I don't feel sense of, of, of family and brotherhood with you. I think that once they start going down that dangerous path, then we have to start being careful and making sure that we keep ourselves safe. Okay, and we're going to go to Johnny. Molly, thank you very much. I like this year. It's very good, really interesting. Fate and destiny, two kinds. I think I got it. Uh, we're going to go to Johnny, but before we do, I want Johnny you to think about how to comment about what Molly said. I want to know if you agree with her, if you have something to add. But before we do that, we'll take a short break. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, 
A halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. Johnny, do you agree with Molly? Would you like to add something well, to the way she described to you? Firstly, I love what Molly said, but since she was talking about Cold Adida Effect, which I reminded her of, ultimately, of course, I'm going to agree with her. <laughs> Secondly, Johnny, do you agree with Rav Soloveitchik and Rev Cook, or you uh, disagree with him? <laughs> they're, they're so waiting what Johnny Solomon thinks of them. You know, like, I wonder. Um, fundamentally, what Rav Soloveitchik did is give us a language to make sense of um, the modern Jewish people. And he was commenting on, on trends, as Mali said, uh, trends that we see in the in, in modern period, a secular Israel, or at least a, a significant proportion of the Jewish people who are not uh, absolutely uh, Torah committed. And what, how do we look at a Jew who seems very much committed to Jewish peoplehood, but less committed to Jewish destiny, and the vice versa as well, as he comments in a number of places. What do we look at Jews who are very much committed to Torah, but seem to be less committed to Jewish peoplehood. You know, it's interesting. And I'm going to come back to this. But yeah. at the time, there was a movement of Jews that had, I wouldn't say neither, but we're, we're going towards neither. And I wonder, like, I, I think that they were, agreeing, they were in agreement about those Jews. We'll come back to it in a second. Go ahead. Right. So, so I'll come, I'll, I, I want to just expound on, on his thinking and then remark on, on the topic that we're addressing. Um, uh, and while I don't miss to... Uh, uh, overshadow the words of Rav Soloveitchik. Rabbi Sachs frames it in a slightly different way, in a slightly more um, relevant manner to this question we're asking in an essay called Is There Still a Jewish People? Instead of using fate and destiny, he uses the word fate and faith. But I want to quote just a short paragraph and then explain what we can apply from Rav Soloveitchik, Rabbi Sachs and, and Rav Cook, but also what we cannot. And he says the following, Israel and Judaism are essentially connected, not at the level of politics or interests or any other secular category, but at the deepest level of Jewish identity. Israel is the only place in the world where Jews can create a society, and that is a religious task, even though Israel is a secular state. But Judaism is also religion that, as first Ezekiel, then the sages taught, can be practiced anywhere, centered on the synagogue as an institution and on collective Jewish responsibility as an idea. Judaism is both fate and faith, and it is impossible to separate the two. And I, I, I quote him because he's trying to give even more coherence to this question of, is there still a Jewish people and what one needs? However, when reflecting on both this essay and especially in Kol Dede Defect, there's an important lesson uh, to recall. That though Rav Soloveitchik draws some of his ideas from the rituals of conversion which speak about the individual, he speaks about these ideas, about the collective sense of the Jewish people, about Knesset Israel, meaning when he speaks about 
the covenant, and it's important to emphasize that word, Brit Goral and Brit Yud, the covenant of fate and the covenant of destiny. He's speaking about Am Yisrael Kula or, uh, and our broad general commitment to these broad general covenants rather than the individual who does or does not. He doesn't individualize that. That's up to us to consider what that necessarily means. And therefore, if you have a Jew today who says, I'm, as you say, neither. I neither feel any deep affiliation to Torah Mitzvot, nor do I necessarily feel any deep affiliation to peoplehood in general, as expressed by Medinat Yisrael specifically. What do we do of them? Well, first and foremost, it's likely that they don't understand either. And we try and educate, a bit like what Mali was saying. We actually recognize that that person is implicit through that misunderstood position calling out and saying, I'm a Tinoch Shnishbah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Because somebody can be so quick to cast aside those important anchors of the Jewish identity is likely not to necessarily appreciate or understand them. But presuming that they do, what they've done is set aside a, a, a significant element of what a Jew is, which is to be part of the Jewish family. Biologically, that doesn't change them being Jewish. But it does mean that they've diminished an aspect of their Jewishness. As the Mordechai says, and Rav Soloveitchik himself quotes him on a number of situations, he's taken away the notion of Achicha, being your brother. And Achicha has definitions on things like Hashavat Aveda. It's fun, funny, the analogy used about saving somebody is really a, an, an act of Hashavah and Hatzalah, right? That's where Achicha comes in. That person is still genetically Jewish, but through their actions, and through their rhetoric, fundamentally, they're saying, I'm not part of the family. And what do we do to people who are not part of the family? The answer is, we don't need to do anything. They've stepped away already. They are, in the classic case of Mumar, they've walked away. And we say, that's sad. And in some instances, we mourn them. In some instances, we don't. But that doesn't change the notion that a Jew should ideally, and a Jew generally does, have some kind of loyalty and commitment to Graal and Yehud, to fate and destiny, or fate and faith, and that one who chooses to have one over the other is an incomplete, at least ideological Jew. I wouldn't say incomplete, biological Jew, but there is something deeply lacking in their understanding of these dual covenants, which are essential to be part of the wider Jewish story. I think I hope that's an answer. Okay. So, obviously, so then, then you agree with Molly, essentially. So what should we do about it? Or to do nothing. Meaning, Molly said, we should do whatever we can to save as many Jews as we can, but not at the expense of if it's going to harm us, in a sense. Would you agree with her? Or, you know, no. You know, as long as somebody identifies as a Jew, you know, that, and acts in that way, then we should do whatever we can. I think the claim that bringing Jews who identify as Jewish nearer to the Jewish people is a harm to the Jewish people doesn't make sense in my conscience. However, when one does that, one needs to recognize that uh, we all have responsibilities to Jews. And just as I see a Jew as having responsibilities to Jewish peoplehood and Torah, I have responsibilities to uh, an ach or an achot, to a brother or sister, who at that moment in time doesn't see themselves as an ach and achot. And what do I do? I try and provide them with what's missing in their life, a sense of awareness. 
So uh, I, unlike some, and this was the position of various even rabbinic leaders about a century ago, of presuming that we can erase, cast aside, cut away the uh, less than uh, complete elements of the Jewish people, those who don't quite fit with our uh, outlook and ideology. I believe that we have a din of Ashavat Abedaz, a Chafetz Chaim famously said, in terms of Kirov, in terms of looking out for our brethren. And that doesn't just mean looking out for brethren look just like me. But when I do so, my job is to uh, pull them away from, from the um, stormy seas which they find themselves and bring them to a safer place. My job is to help them appreciate and understand what it is to be a Jew. And, and as I mentioned before on this show, uh, I think that that is something which we seem to forget too much. We believe in Hasbara, but we don't do it well enough. We believe in uh, the Jewish continuity, but we don't necessarily do enough to reach out to those who are ebbing away. And that should be on our radar. Okay, I'm going to um, actually, I don't want to push back, but I think we do so much when it comes to Hasbara. We as a religious community, maybe the modern Orthodox are not good enough at it, but there are so many people who engage in, oh, not Hasbara in the Hasbara of Israel sense, but Hasbara in Israel, Hasbara in the Jewish sense, reaching out, you know, you can go anywhere in the world, literally, and find someone who wants to bring you closer if you're looking for it. I actually want to sort of combine. I, I of course, want to agree with both of you, and I, I wouldn't. For, I don't formulate it the way, the way you would have. I think it's beautiful. I, I'm taken by a, form, a different formulation. You said achicha, I'm, Johnny. I'm taken by a different formulation. There's a there's a, a member of Chazal, and I looked it up. A, it appears in a few different places about kamocha. So the, the Mishnah, or the Tanaim, or whatever, in, in Avot Rabbi Natan, talk about when are you allowed to hate somebody. Okay, so it says, you know... Psochim also yeah, 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 yeah. So it says, Ahovet Kulam, love everybody. This is Avot Rabbi Natan, Perk Aleph, Perk, Nuscha Aleph, Perk Tetzayin. Ahovet Kulam, love everyone. Usno et aminim et amishumadim et amisorot. Minim apostates, mishumadim, other kinds of apostates, you know, atheist apostates, misorot. So wrote, interesting. So it's an interesting list. People who, who, who turn others over, turn Jews over to the authorities. So the Gemara said, the, the Mishnah says, I'm skipping a little bit. You're supposed to love your fellow Jew as yourself. So it says, no. Meaning, if he acts, he does an action of your nation. And, 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 and then you love him. And if not, then you're not commanded to love him. Meaning, the reacha, who is your fellow Jew, someone who does ma'ase amcha, does like the actions of your nation. And I am, I'm, I'm very much taken nowadays by formulations. I wouldn't describe, interestingly, how would you describe a shomer who's, who's, you know, shomer Torah mitzvah? You wouldn't say, ose ma'ase amcha. You wouldn't put it in the, in the formulation of acts as one of your people, of your, your nation. Meaning, uh, they use that as a euphemism for, meaning, how would you use a certain phrase to describe someone who's connected to the Jewish people? So, mostly in halacha is made to understand someone who keeps the mitzvah. But literally, the, the phrase means someone who does actions of being part of this nation, connects himself to the Jewish people. And if not, you're not commanded to love him. In fact, not only that, you're commanded to hate him. And... Oh, like, but that's the point. Molly, I was going to get back to you. Like, we are totally afraid of these Ma'amarei Chazal. We, we reject them outright. 
we like hakechinov. I want to. I sort of want. I want to. You know, soften it. You know, like Chazal were very clear about these things, and they're all like you said, Johnny. It's about. It's all over the place in in Chazal. It's in the Rambam. It's in Halacha. But for for whatever reason, like the idea of pushing somebody away is an anathema to us. And maybe they knew what they were talking about. Maybe they understood the implications. Or I personally have the feeling that in the times of the Tanaim, they were dealing with pretty much exactly what we're dealing with today. An enemy and a split Jewish camp, some totally identifying with the values not of the Jewish people, not of the Amcha, that led to, to whatever degree to the destruction of the Jewish people. And you have people trying to pick up the pieces saying, what, maybe we were too close. Maybe we were too, maybe we were too accommodating. Maybe we were too worried about pushing away our fellow man that instead we ended up destroying ourselves. I can't say that, but that's sort of the feeling I get from these Ma'amare Chazal. Like you said, it's on the Seder night. Rasha But that is not a value of religious Judaism today. It's just not a value. It's, it's utterly rejected. And Johnny wants to say something, but I think, Johnny, maybe we need to take Chazal a little bit more seriously. So I would like to just briefly... I don't no, don't briefly. Go on. I mean, you, I'd like to hear your no, response. But it, I think I want to crystallize and, and distinguish between the two things you said. You said we don't need to love, but in fact, Chazal said you need to hate. Haket Shinav, you mentioned that in Mama Chazal. The fact is, hatred is an emotion, right? Apathy isn't. It doesn't say there... Somebody who does these things, who doesn't, who, who doesn't do say amcha, let them be. Don't bother. It says you should have a deep, powerful, heartfelt emotion towards them. Right now, it's one of disappointment and maybe even anger. But it's not apathy. Haket Shinav is not apathy that just let them walk out. It's about wrestling with that person. What we're learning from Chazal is it should bother you. It should burn you up inside you to a point that you just want to be maketchenav. It should burn up inside you that you, it leads you to sin'ah. There's a huge difference between that sense of I don't care and I care so much that Chazal um, are saying these things. And I believe this is reflective of the ethic of Chazal. To not care is precisely uh, a, a misrepresentation of Chazal. It's to care. It should be it should be part of your agenda. You should be troubled by this and you should do all you can. If it means shouting and screaming at them and say, what are you doing? But we shout and scream often out of love. Um, that doesn't mean one should shout and scream, but nevertheless, it comes from a place of caring, not from a place of of uh, being emotional. It's a good drash, so but that's definitely not what hatred means. <laughs> I mean, you know, you basically said what you, what you took is. my question and then you amplified it in my mind. You basically said, no, you really have to care them. and you have to reach out. It does. No, you have to hate them. And by the way, just to, I'll give you a raya if you want to be the a little bit I more The mission I quoted you was right? Sinata Briot, hating other people. talks nowadays of we don't have the din of moridin v'lo ma'alin. The idea is, yeah, you need to be bothered by people who go off but we don't try and destroy people. What we try and do is be bothered by their behavior and, as, as quote the Chavetz Chaim, be mashiv et aveda, try and do what we can. No, the Gemara so, says, I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry. the Gemara, the, the mission that I quoted you says, the mitzvah of hafta l'reach does not apply. 
That's what it says. Yeah, because right now they're not doing Maser Air. I get that. Again, I'm, I'm, I was familiar with uh, I was Robbie Nathan before. I know that. No. But that's because you're mirroring what they're doing, but you're also, you're going further. You're not letting them walk and saying, I don't care. You're saying, I care. Right now, I can't show you that positive, but I can show you how I still am pained by where you're at. So I, I actually, so I want to, I want to, Mali wants to, I'm sorry, I'm speaking instead of Mali. That's Mali. No, I want to clarify and then I'll go, go, go back to Mali. I want to sort of frame, give my frame of reference that I've been thinking about a lot. I think I shared this with you. I don't know if I mentioned it online, but one thing that I, I shared, um, that I, that we, that I shared with the other people in my, uh, with, with you two, is a sermon that was given by Rabbi Amiel Hirsch from the, was it, Stephen Free Wise Synagogue. And it was a sermon that he gave late May, in which he, he wrote, and he, wrote, he actually published it in the Jerusalem Post. It's called The Fracturing of Liberal, Liberal Judaism Over Jewish Particularism. Now, the article that he wrote is fine. His speech was actually amazing. It was really, really, really powerful. And he basically, his thesis was um, liberal Judaism is, is, is splitting at the seams. And, you know, I just quote him. The line that he said was, do we belong to the Jewish people? Are we anchored in Jewish particularism, an identity rooted in Jewish peoplehood, and from there pursue un Jewish universal values? Or are we Kantian universalists who pray in Hebrew and who regard the insistence on Jewish distinctiveness as an embarrassment at best, or at worst, an impediment to and a contradiction of universal values? And, and that's where we're getting. Meaning, I talked about Jews of no religion. Here, we're talking about the pain was that here you have future leaders of liberal Judaism who signed a petition based on their universal values showing no sense of Jewish particularism. And I think actually my sense, and I don't know if it's true, but generally my sense is it's an age split. It's a generational split. That older Jews who remember the Holocaust or have some kind of institutional memory of the Holocaust, they, are, they, they understand Jewish nationalism and peoplehood. Younger Jews who have no memory of the Holocaust, they're universalists. And he, his theory, he, it's, I'm not going to give his whole theory. I would actually love to interview him. I think it's really fascinating. But I, I think if Israel is going to choose, or we as a community are, are going to choose to reach out to non-Orthodox Jews and non-Orthodox Judaism, I think our answer has to be, we need to strengthen the Jews who believe in Jewish peoplehood. We need to work with them in order to, in order to enhance their educational efforts about Jewish peoplehood, on the one hand, and at the same time, rebuff and hakeh shinab to the Jews that, that, are, that are placing universalism over Jewish peoplehood. Meaning, if I was a Saranat Futsot, which I wasn't, when Rick Jacobs came to her office, instead of taking a nice picture and saying, oh, we're going to be so nice to you, I would have said, thank you so much. We would love to work with you with the Reformed Jews in the world and Reformed Judaism. How is it that you didn't say anything when that horrible, horrific letter came out? Where do you stand? How are we going to help Reform Judaism repair this rift and understand their place in the Jewish people? And, and, and you have to be harsh in that way. You have to be hakeh shina when it comes to this issue. Because if you don't, then that side is, if you don't, that side is leading and winning. I saw somebody comment to me on a Facebook page that, they, that people that, that reform rabbinical students uh, who support APAC are ostracized in their rabbinical schools. That they're, they're, they're made to feel like outsiders. Is that even possible? Like, how is that possible? How is it that Reform Judaism is not insisting on having a sense on teaching lessons and classes about what it means to be a part of the Jewish people, about Jewish particularism, about anti-Semitism, about all these things. Those are the ways I think Israel needs to invest in the Reform Jewish communities first and foremost, and not just saying nice things, 
that will only lead to more criticism and not solve the problem that we have to deal with. Molly, turn back to you. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. First of all, I think that just to, just to help people, people are very squeamish about saying things like I'm uncomfortable with certain segments of the Jewish population. But how about if I how about if I ask people how they feel about Natura Carta? Then nobody has a problem saying, "Oh, they're disgusting. I, they're hard. They're disgusting. I hate them. They're terrible." Right? Because it's it's much more comfortable to 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 say that I have negative feelings about and that I'm willing to criticize and I'm willing to like publicly fight against um, you know people who are who look like Natura Carta. Then it's comfortable for me to criticize people who look more like me, let's say, right? Or whatever the distinction is. But what I'm trying to say is if people are like getting squeamish about like, how could you say this about, you know, your fellow Jew? Well, I think a lot of you, if you ask them how you feel about Natura Carta, they would be like, yeah, I have revulsion from them. So like, I'm just pointing that out to show you like the dissonance when like people think like, oh, I could never feel negativity towards a Jew. And how could you? Couldn't you? What about that group? So if they can, Um, where's that discomfort coming from then? Where is there just disc- because and I think Johnny's right. I think that we we really we're good Jews. Good Jews always want to be inclusive and they always want to be loving and they always want to um, be very hesitant about about um, pushing people away. And I think that's all legitimate. But I think that what you said was right. I think you said I think that 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 we have to we have to be clear that particularism is is a Jewish value. It's not a vice, and it's not a contradiction to universalism. It can live in. It's always lived in um, in in tandem with universalism. Or in tension with. Be, in some tension. I don't with. know. I don't know if it's always intention. Tension is okay. What do you say? It's good to live in tension. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, true, but I don't. I don't necessarily. I think that this idea that they have to live in tension causes unnecessary problems. You don't. You can believe um, in 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 saving the world, and also be- again, I think this is a Jewish value. Judaism always has a tiered and a hierarchy. I love right. I, I have to give tzedakah first. I have to give charity first to the people of my community, and then right. Judaism always believes in the micro and the macro, and that's okay. That doesn't believe that you don't get to the universal. That's not a tension, but it's okay to say I love my family first, and then I love my community, and then I love again Rav Cook, and then I love my nation, and then I love all the other nations, and I love the world, and then I love the cosmos. There's nothing wrong with that, right? And they don't have to be in tension. And I just want to mention you. You mentioned um, Rabbi Hirsch, who again, such an amazing speech, um, and he says what we, you and I, are kind of trying to say, but he says it so much more eloquently. And I also want to mention that I heard an amazing podcast with Barry Weiss. Um, if people know who she is, she was a writer for the New York Times. She left over um, issues that are related, but not directly. But she, she is very much a liberal Jew. Um, I, I think, I, I don't remember clearly, but I remember she wrote an article, I think about maybe it was Women of the Wall, something, where I didn't, I, 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 I don't, I, there are a lot of things that I don't disagree, that I don't agree with Barry Weiss about in terms of politics and worldview. Um, but I'm so impressed by her. She is an example of, of a person with whom you can have all of that wonderful communication that Johnny was talking about. But you know why? Because she's not, she's, she's very comfortable when she was asked what her, how she identifies as a human being, she said, I think a lot of my identity comes from my sense of my, 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 my Jewish ancestry. And she's willing to say I'm a Zionist, right? She's not afraid of particularism. And therefore, 
Um, we can disagree about things. We can dialogue about things. I'm sure I have a lot to learn from her. I'm sure that, that there's a lot that, um, you know, I would love to have a rich dialogue with her because these are two people who are comfortable with particularism and you're 100% right. And what do we do with the people who are uncomfortable with particularism? So I think Johnny's right. Education is great. And that should be our, f and, and, and reaching out and dialogue, that should always be our first line of, of, of you know, communication. But after that, I think, I think you're right. Chazal were very, um, um, I would say, emphatic about protecting the Jewish people. They had no qualms about mm -hmm. like, you know, if, if, if um, you know, if, if there's something that's a danger to the Jewish people, that's a very Jewish value, as opposed to, I, I don't, I don't mean to be maligning all of Christianity, but let's say in a very general way, right? There's the sense that Christianity is turned the other cheek. Judaism is not. Judaism is, a, a, you know, Hababa Machteret, you're allowed to kill that guy. If there's a Rodef, you're allowed to shoot that guy, right? Meaning, as you said, like there's a, there, somebody's a Moser, you're allowed to like go after him and, and like you, there's a very strong value. Maybe this is because Jews were highly persecuted, but there's a very strong value in Judaism of protecting the Jewish people. And I think that we can't forget that. And, and, and again, if we can bring people close, if we can dialogue, if we can even sometimes sadly say, like, you go your way, I'm going to go my way. You don't agree with me. You're entitled to your position. And like, if that means that, like, I believe that my path is going to lead me to a Jewish future and I believe that your path is going to lead you in a different direction, then I sadly say goodbye. But I also say, if I think you're dangerous, I'm allowed to, to say that and to do what I need to do to protect myself if I think you're endangering Jewish peoplehood and 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 Jewish people physically and 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 even you know in, all, in, in other ways. Johnny, can you accept Molly's formulation? I, I I totally agree that Chazal were absolutely protective of the Jewish people, um, uh, and I totally agree with the notion that a Jew. Uh, should have those dual commitments to particularism and universalism with particularism first, by the way. I should make that clear because otherwise if we don't make that clear then uh, there's a lot more questions that we've, uh, we've raised that we haven't addressed. Um, nevertheless, the question really is, you know, what do you do when things aren't the way things could be? And that's really been the question that leading Jewish thinkers and Poskim have been wrestling with over the last 150 years. We've mentioned some, uh, by no means all, and uh, some policies of inclusion um, have been adopted. Really the question that we, all of us are asking in one respect or another is, but does it come a point where you need to say, you're just, you're just too far? And not just that, where, where the passion of sinner that I spoke of is replaced by a more, I wouldn't quite say sinister, but shall we say a more firm and negative rather than passionate uh, and, uh, and hopeful uh, emotion. And uh, there have always been individuals for whom that response has been applied. What hasn't often happened, certainly in the modern age, is that being applied to groups of people. Basically, what we had is individuals who've gone AWOL and Chazal said, that's it, you're out of here. What about Vidal Mashinim, Johnny? I understand. That's a group, right? Who, who, that they're saying, if you as a group are undermining the Jewish people, there's a prayer in Shemona Esrei. Well, I think say, if more people understood what they were saying, they wouldn't say it. 
well, Chazal wants you to say it three times. <laughs> you're not arguing. I'm not arguing with you, but I, I, I'm I think just saying. But, but it's important just just to respond to that that uh, observation. Absolutely right. But what was that prayer trying to achieve? It was actually a, a dual-edged sword. It was for Jews to know that we have danger among us, but also to make it clear to those in that group, save yourselves, right? To say, it was speaking from a point of, don't be that. Lamini, right? Don't be among those groups. The moment you don't care, you don't add the bracha. The moment where I'm not interested in you returning, I stop even offering any prayers or, or recitations about you. It, there is both a sense of... That's a beautiful Jewish. I think, Johnny, we are davening to Hashem, protect us from, from those within us who might want to destroy us. And the next thing we say is, and then those of us who are, who are in the fold, Hashem, Please daven for them, right? Meaning, I, I love no, it. I, I love it. He can't Jewish. do it. He just can't do it. He, like, it's no, fine. it's beautiful. Foremost, again, with, with the best of respect, I, I am somewhat familiar with the <laughs> origins of this prayer and what was going on in, in the first century. And it's, Meaning, I, I'm, I'm aware of that narrative. But I also know that that when you pray for for this division to occur, you also pray for those who could be in that camp to get smart and, and come home. Okay, right? I mean, that's and fair. I think Ruby and I would say we always want that, right? Right, so g- going back to this, uh, notwithstanding that prayer, It's so true. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a bracha of the Shemona Esrei. It's like, we say it every day. We it's say it three bracha times a day. from the Chai Esrei, if you, to be more precise. Correct. It was <laughs> the whole point. <laughs> yeah. was right. Now, nevertheless, the key point is that we, we generally are much, much more reluctant to write off huge swathes of people of the Jewish people. That's, that's why Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger in his famous Tribunal of you know, we could easily say, you guys have, have gone too far, you're not part of the Jewish people. But we, we rarely were prepared to do that, especially, by the way, when they are coming towards the majority of the Jewish people. So I, so I, I wonder... I don't think, meaning, Johnny, I, I don't think exactly any of us are saying, it. let's write off all these people. Mm-hmm. I think we're saying, Molly, that's, pinpoint the ones exactly. that are dangerous. That's my point. I am saying that. I'm saying... The Pew says Pew says there are seven million Jews in the United States of America. If you went by my count and you didn't count, not forget halacha. I'm not talking about halacha, but somebody who doesn't keep anything and doesn't feel connected to Israel at all, meaning there's not meaning you don't keep any ritual. But if he's not harming us, then I would say is that yeah, person a Jew? He, yes. Just because he, he says is. he's a Jew. He, he's a Jew. He, he's a, he's a, he's a, okay. And I what if he so. is hostile to us? And then feels... I'm saying, then you apply again. Either okay. Again, then I think, how many? Again, I think there are three. Maybe I think then there are how three many levels. Jews are there in America? One is the love, and that's a fundamental One is question. again. Sometimes you have to let people go, even though if you try to reach out and they don't want to take the hand, then you just sadly say, you know, sometimes. Right again, people always quote the Hamashim Yatsumi Mitzrayim. If you don't want to leave. And then I can't, I can't pull you out, but I, I can do the best I can to try to help you. So some you let go. And if they're actually actively hostile and dangerous, then you fight against them. That, I, I, you know, again, I would hope that the majority, and I would believe the majority of Jews do not fall into that well, third his, category. Historically, There's, the ones that fell away are a large majority of the Jewish people. Historically, though, but those in the second category, those are not the ones we have to. We have to fight. Fight. We have to defend ourselves against. You know, again, the people who like say Kaddish for Hamas. Uh, leaders. Those are the ones where we have to say, like. See, I, I think I actually right, think we're I think we're way off. By the way, them. we're not talking about. I talk about Jews of no religion. Those are not the Jews of no religion. Those yeah, are the Jews so of religion. Saying, the Those Jews are the leadership of, no, of the Jewish people. 
No, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the ones who wrote that article. I'm talking about something from like three years ago from a different one where like they're literally gathering, like Johnny's people, sorry, Johnny. These were English people <laughs> who are like, you know, gathering in I don't know what park and literally saying Kaddish and then saying the names of the Hamas leaders who were killed. And, and, and in the, well yeah. Same group. So, I, I'm just saying, Ruby, I don't think it's the majority. I think the majority of people are, as you said, of no religion. I'm with Johnny. Let's be kind. Let's put out our hands. Maybe Johnny has more hope for them, and I'm some a little bit more resigned to saying, if you're if you're in, if you're going to insist on going, I'm begging you and pleading with you and trying to help you stay. But if if you're going to be gone, you're going to be gone, and I have to do what I need to do. And then to the tiny minority that, that, that we have to fight or whatever the word is, we have to stand up against, so we stand up. I just think it's interesting you say tiny minority. I think there's no way to know. There's really no way to know. Hard right, to know okay. How, you so. know how big that is. And right. uh, as, as time goes along, it seems to be getting larger and larger and more and more vocal. And, and, and I way. agree with you that we have to be, be clear about, wh- about what we think is right and what, what we think is wrong, what we think it means to be part of the Jewish people and what it isn't. And I think we do have to emphasize this idea of like, you, you, have to, you have to believe you're part of a particular family. And if you don't, then I object to you. I don't necessarily have to fight with you, but I have to make it clear that I disagree with, with your conception. So I like your idea. I mean, what I, think about, I was thinking about what you just said about the Turicarta. Like, why do we reject the Turi Karta? Because we find it so, such an anathema that somebody who is so externally Jewish could reject the idea of being part of the Jewish nation. To, to reject the idea of, you know, and, and be actively uh, destructive and engaging with those who are son a Yisrael. But at the same time, the same, the same people who are not any, have no Shemirah Mitzvah at all, but do the exact same things, literally the exact same things, those are the people that know, like you say, no, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to say anything bad about them. Silence. Okay, crickets. No, I want to anyway. let Johnny talk because I interrupted him. So, Johnny, well, I want to. That's the question to me. Why I, I didn't comment about Nturikarta. Mali did. I was saying to Mali. I, I don't know. I think your formulation I is very interesting to away. think about. Can you be an Nturikarta who doesn't keep any, Jew, any, any ritual at all? Can, can I call you a non-ritual Nturikarta? Would that help? It's accurate. I don't understand what we're trying to do. By, uh, All right, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. And we'll leave it there. Okay, Miguel, do you want to do you want to add something before we wrap up? We always ask you. You always like. So uh, that, I, now he feels pressure. I'll, I'll, like, I'll echo what Marty said. Listen, I, I, I'm I'm a realist about where we are in terms of Jewish people. Um, uh, I, I also am somebody who believes that that the hope is an important concept, and concern, caring, love are foundational principles in Judaism. There are a lot of Jews who don't understand what it means to be Jewish, and it's upon us who do to work double time. And, and though you may be right, there's a lot of uh, energy and resources are being invested in that. Let's do more. Because just, you know, if you've got a house that's on fire, and I say I'm really, really working hard to put out, a, you know, a small corner of it, I'd say we'll get some more fire engines. The Jewish people are in trouble. You know, 73-4% of non-Orthodox Jews are assimilating in America. The numbers are rising in Europe. Uh, it's not the top priority for many Jews who are observant, who are knowledgeable. And no matter what we think we're doing, I believe we need to do more. And only when we do more, only when somebody who knows then rejects, then are we in a position to say, aha, uh-huh. up. Right now, we're not there. Okay, I, I think... Uh uh, we'll wrap it. We'll leave it there. I, I'm, I'm glad that we were not able to move Johnny away from his Ahava Israel position. I, I, I think that's a, that, 
that I feel that's something redemptive about this discussion, <laughs> because otherwise it's uh, very, very challenging. We'll stop here. Uh, I want to thank Molly and uh, Johnny for, for tackling this, uh, this uh, complicated issue very much. If you have comments or questions for us, we've gotten amazing comments from people both privately on WhatsApps to each of us individually, on our Facebook page. We would love to hear your comments and, uh, and uh, we, we see all of them and we discuss them among ourselves. So please feel free to reach out to each of us. We're very, very easy to find on the Facebook and, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider discussing it with a friend. Hey, I heard on the Aussie podcast or sharing it on your Facebook or Instagram feeds so that more people can discover Aussie goodness around the world. I want to thank Molly Bravsky, Herb Johnny Solomon. I want to thank my son, Pachia, for our music. As always, have a great weekend.